0: Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast, and thanks so much for tuning in. Celebration Church is one church in 10 locations across southeast Louisiana. We are all about changing lives, homes, our city, and the world through Jesus Christ. We hope that you're both encouraged and challenged by today's message. Thank you for joining us as we continue our Facing New Challenges message series. Today we're going to continue our study of the book of Ruth as we explore the challenge of marriage and so i want to invite you to open your bible up to the book of ruth we're going to be in chapter four today and you can also access today's message notes online at webcc.info now my wife tamra and i we got married in 2004 just a year before hurricane katrina and i was 23 years old she was 22 we were both real young And I was very familiar with the romantic comedy genre of films. And you know those movies, it's boy likes girl or girl likes boy. And then there's some sort of ironic conflict, hilarity ensues. They fall in love and live happily ever after, the credits roll. And somehow, I just figured that's what marriage was gonna be like, you know? And so we had the wedding, we had the honeymoon, we moved into our apartment. Roll credits, we're in love, end of story, right? Wrong. And what I came to find out is that marriage actually has quite a few challenges. Within a year of that time, we had Hurricane Katrina come along, and then within a year of that, we had lived in five different places over the course of a year. And they tell you that marriage is the end of your problems, and that's true. They just don't tell you what end it is. Usually, it's the beginning. In today's passage of Scripture, we're going to see Ruth and Boaz, who we've been following for the last four weeks, we're going to see Ruth and Boaz are getting married, and then today we're going to talk about the challenges of marriage. And so in Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 13, we read this, Boaz went to the town gate and took a seat there. Just then the family redeemer he had mentioned came by, so Boaz called out to him, come over here and sit down, friend, I want to talk to you. So they sat down together. Then Boaz called ten leaders from the town and asked them to sit as witnesses. And Boaz said to the family redeemer, You know Naomi who came back from Moab. She is selling the land that belonged to our relative, Elimelech. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem it if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. The man replied, All right, I'll redeem it. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. Then I can't redeem it, the family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. You redeem the land. I can't do it. Now, in those days, it was the custom in Israel for anyone transferring a right of purchase to remove his sandal and hand it to the other party. This publicly validated the transaction. So the other family redeemer drew off his sandal as he said to Boaz, You buy the land. Then Boaz said to the elders and the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and with the land I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malan to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. You're all witnesses today. Then the elders and all the people standing in the gate replied, We are witnesses. May the Lord make this woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, from whom all the nation of Israel descended. May you prosper in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And may the Lord give you descendants by this young woman who will be like those of our ancestor Perez, the son of Tamar and Judah. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. Let me ask you. Is that what your wedding was like? Was there, a, was there a tract of land that came with the bride? Was there a moment where a close relative took off his shoe and gave it to you? Probably not. And I'm, I'm thinking maybe in weddings from now on, instead of having a unity candle, we should have a sandal exchange or something like that. This is, this is kind of strange, and it's buried under 3,000 years of cultural and historical separation What's happening here is Boaz wanted to marry Ruth as what's called a kinsman redeemer for Naomi's family. A kinsman redeemer comes from the Hebrew word goel, and it was a Hebrew relative who could deliver, redeem, or rescue a property or person. What Boaz is doing here is providing an heir for Malon, Ruth's husband who has passed and is the the child of of Elimelech, uh, Malon's Father who has passed. What has happened is all the male heirs in this family have died. The family itself is about to die. And Boaz, by marrying Ruth, provides an inheritance, provides a way for this family to continue. He is rescuing this family. Now, this is, this is a very different concept for us. And if you're listening to this and, and you're a lady, the way this would work is you're married to the oldest son of a family, and if he dies before you're able to have a child, guess what? You get to marry his little brother. Yay, right? <laughs> I don't know how you feel about your brother-in-law. The reality, though, is that this marriage it enabled Ruth to save her family's legacy, their history. It was her opportunity to save their future, and it came courtesy of Boaz. Now, that's a pretty honorable thing to do, and marriage itself is very, very honorable. A desire to marry someone is an honorable desire, and marriage, when it's done God's way, I want to make sure you get that caveat, marriage done God's way can be one of life's greatest experiences conversely marriage not done God's way can be one of life's most miserable experiences And really what makes the difference is doing it God's way you see God's way marriage is meant to be a lifelong union designed by God between a man and a woman that is a reflection of Christ and the church it's not just about love although love is involved and required for it When a husband and wife get married, doing marriage God's way, they are seeking to reflect the relationship between Christ and his church. It's a deeply spiritual commitment. That's why Jesus said, This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one, since they are no longer two but one. let No one split apart what God has joined together. Now, isn't that the rub? Isn't the rub the fact that we see in our world it's so easy for our marriages to fall apart? What the Lord desires of our marriages is that he wants the husbands and wives to have strong, satisfying, and successful marriages, but that's often difficult because of the trials and temptations of life, and this time is no different. In these last six or seven months with this pandemic raging, all sorts of division happening in our country, I've seen that Marriages have struggled during the season. So we want to address this question. What does it take for couples to have strong, satisfying, and successful marriages? And we're going to give you three major things today. The first one, rising above the challenges of marriage requires learning to communicate with our spouse. Rising above the challenges of marriages requires learning to communicate with our spouse. I want to share with you one of my favorite stories. This, this is an oldie, but a goodie. One of my favorite stories is about a woman who was living in Scotland and she was moving to Switzerland. She was interested in an online listing for an apartment there, but because it was many, many miles away, she inquired of the realtor because it didn't have much information about the bathroom. Now you need to know that in Scotland, it was commonplace for them to refer to their bathroom as the water closet, which they often shortened to WC. That was not a practice in Switzerland. So when the realtor in Switzerland got an inquiry about the WC in this apartment, he didn't really know what it meant, and he didn't want to show his inexperience because he's relatively new, and so he assumed she was referring to the Wayside Chapel, a little place that would host religious services from time to time. And so in his reply, that, that false assumption became evident. He wrote Mrs. Smith in the email, he wrote, Mrs. Smith, having looked into the matter, I'm happy to report that the WC is a mere two miles from the apartment. It's in the center of a beautiful grove of pine trees, and it has a maximum occupancy of 200. Although not many people go on weekdays, I suggest you go on a Thursday evening for the sing-along. The acoustics are quite remarkable. It's quite crowded on Sunday mornings and many folks arrive early with their lunch in tow to make a day of it. But those who don't arrive early are usually able to squeeze on in. (laughs) It may interest you as well that the WC is where my daughter met her husband and they married there as well. It was so crowded that day that we often had two people in a seat designed for one. Because of my own responsibilities in town, I haven't been able to go for over a year. <laughs> now when you hear a story like that, you realize how important communication really is. And in a marriage, good communication between a husband and wife is important if we're going to have strong, satisfying, and successful marriages. So let me give you a few things we can do to communicate better with one another. Married couples can better communicate with one another by seeking to understand one another, by seeking to understand one another. I heard the story of a a man who's walking on the beach and he stumbled across this lamp and picked up the lamp and as he rubbed it, this genie popped out and uh, offered him a wish. And so the man thought about it for a moment and he said, well, I'd like for there to be peace in the Middle East. And the genie said, oh, that's, that's too hard. Think of something else. And the man said, well, I'd, I'd like for there to be a, a bridge to Hawaii. My wife loves going to Hawaii, but she's so afraid of traveling. I'd like there to be a bridge to Hawaii. The genie said, do you have any idea of the sorts of federal and international red tape I'd have to cut through to do that? It's too hard. Think of something else. And the man said, I would like just once to understand what my wife is thinking. And the genie said, you want that bridge to be a two-lane bridge or a four-lane bridge? Sometimes it's hard understanding one another. Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and 7, treat your wife with understanding as you live together. One of the great challenges I had to overcome as a new husband was intentionally working to understand my wife. I just assumed because the Beatles said so. All you need is love, right? We loved each other. It was a little bit harder than that. So let me give you some points to help you understand your spouse. Now, this may not apply to everyone, but most wives have certain needs in common. One of their needs is affection, I know a lot of husbands, their motto is, I told you I loved you. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. But that's, that's not going to do it for most wives. Most wives need to be reminded of that love. They need to be shown that love. It needs to be demonstrated through affection. Wives need conversation. They want to hear what's going on in your mind. They want to hear what's happened in your day. Wives need honesty and openness, which they need that so they don't feel like you're trying to keep something from them. Wives need financial support and security, and they need family commitment from their husbands. Most wives don't want to be full-time, all the time, single mom while dad goes off to do his thing. They want you to be there, they want you to be present, and not just present in the room, present with your mind, present in the moment. Now, the same way, husbands have needs as well. And I don't know if there are any kiddos watching along with their families today, but let's just call this Intimacy. Men need some intimacy uh, from their wives. They need intimacy in their marriage. They need recreational companionship. Men like having fun. But one of the reasons they they began that relationship with you, they courted you, they dated you, they 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 proposed to you, they married you, is because they want to do some of it with you. They need recreational companionship. They need physical attractiveness. Men are drawn through their eyes. They they need your admiration and your domestic support. Listen, it will cripple a man for you to belittle him. They need, they crave your adoration. In fact, a big, a big part, a big value to men and getting married is having a wife that you can constantly impress with your amazing awesomeness. Listen, guys need that from their wives. Married couples can better communicate with one another by seeking to understand one another, but also by eliminating toxic language. We have got to eliminate toxic language. Now, Paul says this in Ephesians 4.29, Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let me challenge you. Let me ask you the words that are coming out of your mouth. Are they constantly an encouragement to your spouse? I'm willing to bet there have been at least a few times, like me, where you've slipped, where you haven't been encouraging. And one of the things I learned early on in marriage is sometimes it's not what we say, but how we say it. We can be right, but be wrong all about it at the same time. And uh, my wife will tell me and tell others, she'll tell others this. She'll say, I always knew I married Mr. Right. I just didn't know his first name was always. But Mr. Mr. Always Right, and you, you catching it at home? Yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Make sure you leave that on your webcc.info response, okay? Now, the thing is, I, I do like to be right, but even when we're right, we can be wrong. If we're using foul or abusive language, and I'm not just talking about profanity, I'm talking about words that are laced with meanness. I'm talking about we've transitioned from trying, we've transitioned from trying to make our point to trying to defeat the other opponent in the argument. If you've watched recent political debates, that's a great example of what it looks like to really believe you're right and be wrong and expressing it at the same time. Listen, that is toxic language. And one of the most toxic words we can say is actually the D word. And I'm not talking about a four letter profane cuss word, I'm talking about the word divorce. To married couples, that concept cannot exist. Get it out of your vocabulary, out of your lexicon. It's not a commonly used word. It should be a never used word. It should only be used when you're talking about good friends or family members that are experiencing it. Sometimes we use it as a threat. Well, I want to divorce you. Or sometimes we we, we use it as a, as, a, as a question. Do you wish you divorced me? Listen, if you're married, that does not exist. That's not a possibility. If you're doing marriage God's way, that's... That's an that's a early opt-out clause that is not in the Bible. Yeah. We need to eliminate that from our vocabulary. Married couples can better communicate with one another also by employing active listening. All the guys say, what? Employing active listening, leaning in, putting the phone away, paying close attention to what the other person is saying. Isn't it amazing How much more clearly we hear from God when we turn off the TV, when we put our phone away, when we just go somewhere and sit in silence. And did you know you can hear from your spouse in a pretty significant way when you do the same thing? That's how we need to be approaching listening in our relationships. James said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. So often we do the opposite. We're quick to speak, we're slow to listen, and we're quick to get angry. We need to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. He goes on to say, Human anger does not produce the righteousness God desires. Now, married couples can communicate better also by being completely honest with one another. Completely honest. How long since you've been completely honest with your spouse? One of the things I love about my spouse is that we know each other's passcodes to our phones. We have the full and complete right To look at anything on each other's phone that we want why because there's value in an open honest and transparent relationship now that's one way of doing it but I'll, i'll tell you i haven't always been good at this i haven't always been good at understanding my emotions what i'm feeling and how how i how that's having an impact on me. And so there have been a lot of times where I've been bothered by something, but I haven't known what. And because I don't know what, I I pretend I'm not bothered. And then my wife knows something's up. And so she asks me what's wrong. And I try to pretend everything's all right, but things aren't all right. And it ends up being some huge fight about something that was minuscule in the first place. Why? Because I didn't know how to just be honest by saying, I'm bothered and I don't know why. And But when I do, I'll, I'll talk with you about it. Listen, honesty can be a game changer. In a marriage, Paul told the Colossians, Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all of its wicked deeds. Can I just tell you, a marriage that is built on lies is destined for failure. You may try to be the exception to that rule, but you won't be the exception. A marriage is only as good as its honesty. A marriage built on lies is destined for failure. Here, we've seen communication is key in overcoming the challenges of marriage let me ask you what areas you need to work on to be a more effective communicator with your spouse or future spouse next thing I want to talk with you about rising above the challenges of marriage requires maintaining our commitment to our spouse we've got to maintain our commitment to our spouse now in our passage earlier Ruth chapter 4, verses 9 and 10, we read, Boaz said to the elders and the crowd standing around, You are witnesses that today I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Malon, and with the land I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Malon, to be my wife. And here... Boaz is making a significant commitment before God, before people. In fact, this is kind of a a virtual marriage ceremony, if you will. Now, the most important commitment we make in our lives outside of our commitment to Christ is our commitment to our spouse. But sadly, it's a commitment that we've been negligent at keeping, according to statistics. A study by the Journal of Marital and Family Therapy in 2012 found that 57% of men and 54% of women admitted to infidelity in a relationship. Those are shocking statistics because they tell us that most people are not maintaining their commitment to their spouse. That's a problem. And the reality is that the world is not going to correct that problem Only Jesus can correct that problem. You see, in a world that places value on self-gratification, it's critical that we maintain our fidelity, our faithfulness to our spouse. Now, let me tell you too, that affairs are one of those things that don't just happen. And sometimes as a pastor, we'll talk to someone and and we'll get news from a a wife that her spouse has been having an affair or or someone will confess to having an affair. And as we're talking with the person who's had that affair, they'll present it as this thing that whoopsies, it just happened. But the problem is that affairs don't whoopsies just happen. There is a slippery slope that leads to them. Let me let me give you some some steps on this slippery slope so that if you're at one of these steps you can know where you're headed and know that it's time to stop and turn around. It starts with enjoying common interest with a person you're attracted to who is not your spouse. It carries on to sharing personal information with that person. And I don't mean personal information like your phone number or email address. I mean personal information like what are the struggles that are happening in your marriage? What is it about your spouse that's driving you crazy? Things that you should only be talking with your spouse or a a, a confidant of the same gender about. Uh, It moves on to anticipating time together with that person you're attracted to. It moves into hiding the relationship from your spouse, trying to minimize the of that relationship to your spouse it moves on to flirting with minor physical touches so now here you're crossing the touch barrier it moves into inventing excuses to call or to meet after long lying becomes commonplace and finally you're engaging in inappropriate and immoral activities listen if if you find yourself at one of those steps, it's time to stop, hit the brakes now, turn around and run in the name of Jesus so that your marriage can be protected. Listen, a few minutes of pleasure, and that's what we're talking about. A few minutes of pleasure, a few moments of pleasure is not worth destroying your marriage. It's not worth ruining your family. It's not Ruth, it's not worth running your integrity through the mud. It's not worth the damage to your reputation. Stop. Hebrews 13:4 reminds us, give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Now rising above the challenges of marriage requires communicating. It requires maintaining our commitment to our spouse. Finally, it requires demonstrating care for our spouse, demonstrating care for our spouse. You see the care that's evident in this passage. Boaz says, I've acquired Ruth, the Moabite widow of Mahlon, to be my wife. This way she can have a son to carry on the family name of her dead husband and to inherit the family property here in his hometown. Now, ladies, I know if you're listening to that, talking about marriage as an acquisition may not convey the sense of care that you look for in, in marriage or in a spouse, but let's remember we're 3,000 years removed here. Uh, This is culturally appropriate for the time. But we also want to understand why this happened. What was it that caught Boaz's eye with Ruth? What caught Boaz's attention was the care that she gave to Naomi. Her faithfulness to her mother-in-law, being willing to leave her homeland, being willing to leave her own culture, being willing to make the Lord God of Israel the Lord of her life and work to meet the needs of Naomi. That was what got Boaz's attention. And as he saw... Ruth's care for Naomi, it couldn't help but cultivate a care response in his own heart. Boaz wanted to be Ruth's kinsman, redeemer, and husband because he had come to care about her. Let me give you some ways we can care for our spouse. Number one, we show love and care for our spouse by honoring them. By honoring them. That seems like a very Wedding ceremony word. What does that mean? Well, let's talk about it. Peter said in 1 Peter 3, 7, You husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her as you should so your prayers will not be hindered. I get a little nervous about the statement on our prayers being hindered. I got a lot on the line that I'm praying for, and I don't want those prayers to be hindered because I dishonored my wife. Now, dishonor is something that I think is running rampant in our world today. Honor is sadly lacking. When, when you watch a lot of the political discourse in this country, honor is lacking. When you look at the hostility of posts on social media, honor is lacking. And I hate to say, even in the way husbands and wives speak to one another, even in the way parents and children speak to one another, honor is lacking is lacking. Now let me say this, I've been married 16 years and in the grand scheme of things to me that's short. We've been married, our marriage is fairly young, our marriage is just barely old enough to drive its own car. I was around some folks at one of our campuses last week been married 42 years, married 44 years And that's encouraging to me. It's exciting to think that we're going to get to do this for a long, long time. I'm not the world's greatest husband. I've made a lot of mistakes and failures along the way. But one thing I'm going to tell you, I will not speak ill publicly of my wife. I just won't do it. I'm probably not going to speak ill privately of my wife either. As it turns out, she's pretty amazing. And I'd have a hard time finding any ill word to say about her if I'm completely honest. And that's, that's not a situation where it's, it's easy for me to honor her because I can't find anything bad to say about her. I can't find anything bad to say about her because I intentionally honor her. We have to decide to honor our spouse. Now, I also know that if I were to dishonor my wife, I'd be inviting the devil into my marriage. Marriage is hard enough without the devil coming in and getting your goat. It is, isn't it? And so my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is, are you honoring your spouse? You understand that when you, when you dishonor your spouse, you're dishonoring someone made in the image of God. You, when you dishonor your spouse, you're dishonoring someone God loves. God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for and redeem. And so when you dishonor your spouse, the one you're dishonoring is actually the Lord. See, to have a successful marriage, we must never do anything that would dishonor our spouse. Paul told the Romans, Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. We've got to honor our spouse. We've also got to spend time with them, to show love and care for our spouse. We do this by spending time with them. Now, this isn't always easy, especially once kids come into the mix. But let me ask you when you were dating, when you were falling in love, in the first place. How much time did you devote to spending time with one another? How much time did you spend dating each other? Do you still give your spouse that kind of attention? Now, there's all kinds of ways of doing this. I know a lot of couples that have a date night the same night each week they do it 52 weeks out of the year, sometimes even more. And I think that's great. I think if you can do that, do that. There've been seasons in my life where we just can't do that. We have we have three kids and right now they're really great. At turning on the TV themselves and taking their own baths and things like that. But when they're little, life is pretty hard for a while. What we would do is on a Thursday night, we'd put the kids to bed, and then after they'd go to bed around eight o'clock, we'd have our date night. We'd make a steak dinner together. We'd uh, watch a movie. We'd we'd play a card game or do a puzzle together. Sometimes you have to get creative in how you do this. Sometimes we'll take a day off of work and go kayaking. We went kayaking over at Bayou St. John and the lady who operated it, she showed us this tandem kayak and she said, this is, this is the divorce machine. This is the marriage breaker. Couples go into this tandem kayak and they don't come back married because of all the fighting. And, and we loved it. We got into that kayak and things went great. Once my wife paddled like I told her how to paddle. It was actually the other way around, but you know, we 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 we've striven to found, find things that we love to do. It doesn't always come easy, but the valuable things in life don't always come easy. Find a way to spend time together. Now we show love and care for our spouse by spending time with them, but also by affirming them. Paul told the Thessalonians, "Give encouragement to each other and keep strengthening." each other and I'll just tell you my wife if I took all this stuff off the table she would be fine if I just gave her all the affirmation that she needs she desires that she needs that She loves that. And it doesn't matter what has come up in her day. It doesn't matter how bad we've fought. If I can just come to her and say, I love you. You're wonderful. You amaze me. You impress me. If I can give her those affirmations, all of a sudden it changes her outlook. It changes her whole disposition. There's tremendous power in affirming others and tremendous results from doing so. And then finally, we've got to forgive our spouse as well i've seen so much hardship in people's lives i've seen bondage come in and out of their lives and it's it's predicated on unforgiveness on bitterness that takes root do not let bitterness do not let offense take root in your marriage paul told the colossians make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you remember the lord forgave you so you must forgive others and sometimes in marriage We act we act like the other person stinks, but we're all rosy all the time. And the reality is that each one of us has needed the forgiveness of Jesus. Each one of us will need the forgiveness of Jesus. And so we ought to be liberal and generous in the forgiveness we offer to one another. Now, here's what we know. We know marriage has challenges and everything in our culture works against our marriages. The general attitude in our society today is if you don't like it, take a hike. I've gotta do what's best for me. And you know what that is? That is selfishness. Pure and simple. Marriages don't thrive in selfishness. Marriages thrive in selflessness. The reality is sometimes we all need some godly advice and an objective third opinion from time to time. Proverbs says, get all the advice and instruction you can. We've got a great resource called Right Now Media as a church where there are dozens and dozens of studies that you and your spouse can sit down, you can watch and benefit from. Not just that, we've got life groups that you can connect to where you can hear from marriages that have been through the ringer. You can hear what's working for different different spouses and in different ways and you can get the prayer support in the community that you need. I want to share with you one last verse. It comes from 1 John 1.7. It says, If we are living in the light of God's presence, then we have wonderful fellowship and joy with each other. You might say that's not been your experience. You might say, I think I married the wrong person. And the thing is, you may be right. You, have made, you may have made some bad decisions along the way. You may have gotten into some bad situations. But I want to challenge you. If that's you, I think, I think God's word to you is... No, you made a promise, you made a vow. I want you to stick with that person so that I can change you, so I can change them and so that your marriage can be a miracle. Now listen, if you're in an abusive situation, I'm not saying you should stay there. I'm saying you should get help. You should reach out to a pastor or a counselor who can teach you how to be safe, who can teach you how to move forward. But what I'm saying is all of us go through rough times in our marriages and we should look to God to be the way maker, the miracle worker in those moments. You know, the key to having a great relationship with our spouse is both of us living in God's presence, which occurs as we worship, grow, minister, and pray with one another. A long time ago, I saw this analogy. It's like a triangle, right? With God at the top, husband and wife, the two bottom sides. And as husband and wife grow closer to the Lord, they grow closer to one another. Let me challenge you today. Make a decision to experience God's miraculous power in your marriage by growing closer to the Lord. So today I'd I'd like to have a prayer time. There may be someone listening out there who, maybe there's never been this moment in your life where you surrendered your life to Jesus. And what the Bible says is there's great power that comes into our lives when we surrender our lives to Jesus. But first we've got to realize that we are sinners in need of grace we've got to ask him for his forgiveness proclaiming that he is who he says he is believing that jesus is the son of god savior of the world who takes away our sins then we've got to commit to living our lives for him the bible says that when we do his spirit comes to live inside of us and he provides a home for us in heaven so wherever you're listening today i'd like us to have a time of prayer i'm gonna i'm gonna lead you where you can pray to surrender your life to jesus and then i'm gonna pray for all of our marriages Let's join our hearts in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. And if there's anyone listening who needs to surrender to Christ, I will invite you to pray this prayer with me. Pray, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit that I've made mistakes and I ask you to forgive me. I believe you are the Son of God, the Savior of the world. So I commit my life to following you. I pray you'll come into my life. Fill me with your presence and power and provide a home for me in heaven when I die. And now I want to pray for all of our marriages. Lord, I just pray that everyone listening, there may be people listening today, their marriage is on the rocks. And Lord, I pray that you'll restore in them hope, expectation for what you might do. Let this be a calling back to your word, back to your presence, and back to your power. Lord, there are marriages that need you to fill each spouse. There are marriages that need your touch There are marriages that need your wisdom and your direction. And so, Lord, I pray for your restoration among the married folks who are listening today. Lord, I pray for your direction for young people who are listening, for people who may be young in their marriage or people who may not be married yet. Lord, that this would be a biblical set of ideals for them to follow as they seek for you to lead them in their marriage, God. And Lord, I just pray that every principle we learned about marriage here today, Lord, that we can apply this to our daily living in your will, God. Lord, we love you and we know that you love us. We know that you have great plans in store for your people. We know that you want to use every marriage to show off the beauty of the relationship between Christ and his church. This Christ who gave up his life for the church that we might be saved and this church that follows steadfastly with Jesus. Let that ideal be evident in the marriage, marriages that are listening and watching here today. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Listen, I'd invite you to go to webcc.info where you can get this week's message notes, where you can let us know about a decision you've made to follow Christ and submit your prayer request. Thank you for watching. If you were encouraged by today's message, make sure to rate us and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcast. Again, thanks for listening to the Celebration Church Podcast.